Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you are well. I'm happy to be with you as always. I promise that today we will continue and complete the really third pastoral letter from Bishop Strickland, who wrote initially um, uh, concerning seven points uh, on the synod, on synodality. I think we're going to have the result of that at the end of October. Um, and these are um, uh, doctrines of the faith that may not be changed, but that apparently this are threatened by the synod. But again, if they're changed, uh, they're not changed. The, the truth, the deposit of faith that our Lord has given us is impossible to be changed because it's not from men, it's from God. And if men play with it, or think they can change it, or bring it up to date in their own mind. Um, that's what they're doing. They're playing like children. We, we have no um, obligation to follow false teaching. So don't be worried with whatever comes out of this synod on synodality. Uh, this is the faith once delivered to the saints. And if you're in question about anything, just go to the catechism, our current catechism, or... I love the Catechism of Trent Explained. It's wonderful. Again, Trent was a doctrinal council, and nothing can be changed. Uh, Vatican II and our current catechism was pastoral, and neither can that change the faith. So um, Bishop Strickland is heading off for the sheep of his flock, but I would say the sheep of the entire world, uh, with clarity, what we should not be um, uh, led astray by. And so um, this is the pastoral letter from Bishop Strickland of September 12th. Um, I think it, it is the most recent. Um, and he says, I write to you today to discuss more fully the second basic truth that I spoke of in my first pastoral letter issued on August 22nd. The Eucharist and all the sacraments are divinely instituted not developed by man. The Eucharist is truly Christ's body and blood, soul, and divinity. And to receive him, Christ, in communion unworthily, that is, in a state of grave, unrepentant sin, is a devastating sacrilege for the individual and for the church. Bishop quotes St. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where St. Paul says to eat and drink the body and blood of our Lord unworthily is to bring condemnation upon yourself. It's mortal sin. It can only be forgiven uh, through confession to a priest. Um, uh, in, in grave danger, uh, no priest around, a perfect act of contrition might do that, but um, it, it's not easy to make a perfect act of contrition. It needs to not, the perfect act of contrition excuse me, the, a perfect act of contrition 
is not motivated by fear of hell, but it is motivated by a true godly sorrow for having offended God. And so um, I'm going to try to continue where we left off. Um, Hold on now. I'm just scrolling down. Um, Okay. Let me just uh, back up a little bit because people say, well, what are mortal sins? And Bishop says, a mortal sin is any sin whose matter is grave, that's quite serious, and which has been committed willfully and with full knowledge of its seriousness. So someone who commits murder, for example, and they are in a complete, they've been drugged, uh, they are not of their right mind, Uh, the murder is equally serious, even if they were in their right mind and willfully. It's equally serious. But... It's not mortal uh, if the person was not in control of his own faculties. So one has to know that it's grave. Um, They have to commit it willfully uh, of their own accord with full knowledge that it will separate them from God. These grave matters, Bishop Strickland says, include but are not limited to murder, receiving or participating in abortion, homosexual acts, sexual intercourse outside of marriage or in an invalid marriage, deliberately engaging in impure thoughts, the use of contraception, etc. If you have questions, he says, regarding sins or the need for sacramental confession, I urge you to talk to your parish priest, and if you have committed a mortal sin, I implore you, to go to confession before receiving the Eucharist. And beloved, if you don't, you will be committing mortal sin uh, upon mortal sin. To receive Holy Communion while you're in a state of mortal sin is to commit another mortal sin on top of it. Bishop writes, the 1983 Code of Canon Law states, quote, a person who is conscious of a grave sin is not to receive the body of the Lord without prior sacramental confession unless a grave reason is present and there is no opportunity of confession. In this case, the person is to be mindful of the obligation to make an act of perfect contrition, including the intention of confession, confessing as soon as possible. And I would say if you're in mortal sin and confession is not available to you, um, to not receive the Holy Eucharist, to honor God and confess your sins to him as as well as you can. This teaching is also found in the Didache, an early Christian document dating from around 70 AD. These documents, written almost 2,000 years apart, highlight the church's constant understanding of the importance of being aware of our sins and seeking sacramental confession when it is needed. If we intentionally live in a manner which runs contrary to the teaching of the Catholic faith and we obstinately hold to beliefs that, are, that contradict the truth which the church teaches, we place ourselves in a state of grave spiritual danger. 
we can take comfort that this can be remedied since God's abundant mercy is always available to us. But we must humbly repent and confess our sins to receive his forgiveness. (laughs) Bishop Strickland writes, this brings me to another point I would like to discuss since it is likely to be discussed at the upcoming synod on synodality. There has been much discussion regarding individuals who self-identify as members of LGBTQ community who seek to receive Holy Communion. I feel it is important to state the following in this pastoral letter. The Church offers love and friendship to all LGBTQ individuals as Christ offers to each one of us and the Church seeks to enable every person to live out the authentic call to holiness that God intends for them. We must be clear, however, that the church cannot offer a person Holy Communion if that person is actively engaging in a same-sex relationship or if a person is not living as the sex that God formed them to be at their conception and birth. The church teaches that those who experience feelings of same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria do not sin simply because they have such feelings, but freely acting upon those feelings is sinful and not in accordance with God's design for his children. For those who experience these feelings, it is indeed a difficult path, so I encourage you to seek the spiritual and emotional support of your parish priest and of family and friends of faith who can help you to discern and live out the authentic call to holiness God intends for you. I would also offer this. Regardless of who we are, we must always remember that following Jesus means following the way of the cross. It will be difficult, but rest assured, he walks it with us if we ask him. And I'm going to want to interject here. I've gotten questions from um, men, in, uh, and it could also be from women, who have homosexual tendencies. And they say, but if I can't engage with another man or woman with woman, what am I supposed to do with these tendencies and these feelings? And I say, you are to do with them what single people are to do with them. I'm a nun. Nuns are normal people. Priests are normal people. We're not free of, um, uh, of temptation. Uh, Jesus himself was tempted in all points as we, yet he was without sin, he never gave in. Um, we are with sin if we give in to the temptation. But there are those who are single all their lives, and they must not give in. They must learn to live a sacrificial, uh, chaste life. And in so doing, they grow in virtue and in holiness and in sanctity. Beloved, we'll be right back from the break. Continue, hopefully finish this article, and then we'll be free to take your calls and your emails. And the toll-free number, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTagg discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. We hear all the time from listeners who discover the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. Join us for the spirit world on the Station of the Cross. Don't be laying hands on people and definitely don't be giving commands in the name of Jesus, leave so-and-so. So what can we say if we feel like there is demonic activity? What can we do? The sacramental graces of baptism, confession, and the mass remove the vast majority of demonic problems outside of possession. The spirit world every Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am Mother Miriam and we are live and I'm thrilled to be with you. And I'm going to continue the uh, third, actually, pastoral letter of Bishop um, Joseph Strickland here in the Diocese of Tyler to his sheep, um, um, heading off um, the Synod on Synodality to clarify issues that are being threatened concerning the truths of our faith. Um, Bishop Strickland continues, additionally, I want to state clearly that the Church has never and will never condone the reception of the Eucharist by a Catholic who persists in any adulterous union. A person must first repent of the sin of adultery and receive sacramental absolution and also have the firm resolution to avoid this sin in the future. In other words, the adultery must end for the individual to receive Holy Communion. For those who have made who may have been in a previous marriage and have divorced and now seek to remarry, I would urge you to speak to your parish priest so he may advise and assist you in your specific situation. As a part of the body of Christ, we must remember that all people are children of God. Christ shed his blood for each and every person. We love and welcome our non-Catholic brothers and sisters and we should seek to invite them 
into the fullness of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church whenever possible. I encourage you to share your faith and invite them to attend Holy Mass with you, even though they are unable to receive communion. As part of sharing your faith, I ask that you share with them why the Eucharist is so special and why it is reserved only for Catholics who are in a state of grace without mortal sin and who are in full communion with the Church. There is no shortage of great saints who spoke and wrote eloquently about the beauty, power, and spiritual efficacy of the Eucharist from early Church Fathers such as St. Justin Martyr and St. Ignatius of Antioch to doctors of the Church such as St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas to saints of more modern times such as St. Peter Julian Amard and Pope St. Pius X. I encourage all to make a commitment to learn from faithful saints such as these in order to deepen our love and appreciation of our Eucharistic Lord who gave his body and blood, soul and divinity in a perfect sacrifice for the salvation of the world. The beauty of the sacraments, Bishop Strickland writes, the beauty of the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, calls us to an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus Christ, living and present among us. Let us seek a more profound faith that Jesus Christ, who walked among us 2,000 years ago, remains with us as he promised. The sacraments are Christ among us, calling us to live his sacrificial love in all our interactions with other members of his body, the church. May our Lord bless you, and may our Blessed Mother intercede for you as you continue to grow in faith, hope, and charity, remaining your humble father and servant, Most Reverend Joseph E. Strickland, Bishop of Tyler, Texas. Oh, dear bishops of the world, how I wish, how I long, how all the sheep long for you to be true shepherds after God's heart with love and devotion uh, laying down your life for the sheep. Um, This is what sheep need. They need teaching. They need instruction. They need to know exactly who they are and what to do and what not to do. And if you're afraid to speak out, there's so many good bishops. I can just name them right now, good bishops. But you're afraid to speak out. I know that. And I I think it's a quandary. I listened to Father Charles Moore um, yesterday on Faith and Reason with John Henry Weston from LifeSite News, and Bishop Moore said that it's not just that the bishops are cowards for not speaking out, it's that they're concerned if they speak out, if they're removed, or they may not necessarily be removed, they may be forbidden from uh, um, having confirmations, forbidden from hearing confessions, forbidden from uh, uh, having their full role as bishop freely administered and that's very legitimate if i were a bishop i don't know what i would do as a bishop and i'm not going to be one and no woman will ever be a bishop but um it, that would be i'd want to speak out i'd want to speak out but 
if I if I knew that I was taking a grave chance that I would not be able to shepherd my flock in the way they need to be shepherded, that wouldn't be an easy decision. So we, we cannot condemn silence. But I'm mindful of Edward Burke's statement years ago that the only thing needed for evil to prosper, to blossom, is for good men to remain silent. We cannot remain silent. We cannot remain silent. And so whether you speak out publicly through the media or gather your flock and speak to them directly and do what Bishop Strickland is doing, even if it's not public, but don't let your sheep go astray. Don't do that because that's your a successor of the apostles. What would the what would we have done if the apostles uh, had a vocation from God, were ordained as the first priests, and uh, were afraid to speak out for the consequences? It's because they didn't speak out that all but one were martyred, and that one died in exile and on the island of Patmos, St. John the Evangelist, and he was tortured. Um, we must not be afraid. We must not be afraid. Bishops, I beg you, I beg you, don't allow churches, LBGTQ churches, don't allow them, shut them down. Don't allow uh, same-sex unions to receive Holy Eucharist. Talk to your priests and make it very clear and if the priests will not obey and they are ruining the sheep, leading them astray, leading them into serious mortal sin, you need to close those churches and dismiss those priests. Unfortunately, ironically, and tragically, priests today are being dismissed for teaching truth, for shepherding their flock. The attack against Bishop Joseph Strickland has one complaint that he's simply speaking out and teaching the truth. There's nothing else wrong. And that's, of course, not wrong. He's being attacked and threatened to be uh, put out because he speaks the truth. And he's not going along with the Vatican's program to change the church, which in this case means to destroy it. Um, So I ask you to pray for Bishop Strickland and beloved if you have a weak bishop or a bishop who won't teach you, a bishop who won't teach his priests, priests who won't teach the truth, get the catechism explained by Reverend Sparago and go through it yourself and with your family. Again, when you stand before God, parents, it will not be a faulty bishop or faulty priests or faulty schools or faulty parishes that will be responsible for your children's growth in the knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not given their growth to the church or to the schools or anyone else. He has made you stewards of your children's path to heaven to teach them, to instruct them, and to so live that nothing you do or say or fail to say contradicts what you would teach. If they don't see you live the truth, they won't believe what you say. They'll listen to it. They may even think the church teaches it, but they will ignore it because you don't believe it enough or care enough to make the sacrifices necessary to live the truth. Very, very important. It's always been important. 
but we are in dire circumstances now in the church and in the world. And um, we need to make that if we're going to reach heaven and we're going to have any opportunity to restore the family and a Catholic culture, the only way that's going to happen is not waiting for leaders, but to live it ourselves. We have to live holy lives ourselves. And we must get our children out of public schools. Must, M-U-S-T, must get your children out of public schools and Catholic schools if they are not Catholic. In all, if they're teaching sex ed, get your children out of there. If they're allowing um, transgender ideologies and all of that, get your children out of there. They will not be running, ruining your children. You will be ruining your children by setting them into the fire. Bring them home. Don't worry about whether you're a good teacher. Don't worry about that you never graduated high school. Who cares? Get good Catholic material. There are many companies, many homeschooling companies that send you the whole package. You don't have to figure it out. Um, and they will help you. And your children need you and living holy lives, praying together as a family more than they need any history or math lesson from school. They'll learn those things. Don't worry about it. But you need to teach them about God. And if you would like good homeschooling responses of parents who are afraid that they'll ruin their children or don't know enough or don't have enough time or they won't be able to clean their house, all of that, um, if you can go to our website, www.motherofisraelshope.org and we did an entire newsletter on homeschooling and it was I, I don't remember now it might have been two falls ago two years ago it was um, the newsletter prior to Christmas so fall of some kind has a bluish cover with St. Therese of Lisieux on it um, and um, it's, it's ho on homeschooling. So if you just go and type homeschooling into our little search box on our, fr on our homepage, uh, it'll come up. And you can print it, you can uh, download it and print it out or read it online. And it gives you all the resources for good homeschooling programs and also uh, for good texts and books and publishers. Um, there's more help today, especially um, since uh, following COVID, many, many, many people started to homeschool. And in fact, uh, this is a warning. The government came out with a program to send parents who homeschool. Do not get that. Do not get any program put out by the government. Because if they couldn't corrupt your children in the classroom during COVID, they put together a program so you can corrupt them at home. Do not get anything from the government, from a good Catholic homeschooling program, and you will save your children uh, and your own soul. There's the music for our um, second half hour, beloved, and we'll take your calls, your emails when we come back. And again, feel free to call in. Our lines are open with anything on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511. 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com and we'll be right back.
please join Father Mark Noonan in praying the Litany of Humility. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are here and we are live and our lines are open and you have a whole half hour we have together. It's my favorite part of the program. Feel free to call in toll free with anything on your heart whatsoever. Um, and it's one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Um, we have a call from Rose in Elmira, New York. Hi, Rose. Hi, Mother. Hi, um, quick question. Quick question. I need some clarification because my husband and I. We're both we're raised Catholics, but we left church, and I went mm-hmm. back to the Catholic Church, and I went to confession, and I confessed because we weren't married in the church, and we had we've been having marital relationships, and the priest said it wasn't a sin, and then he said I can have conf- I can have communion. Now I thought I heard the opposite before on your show, <laughs> so now That's I'm confused. Right. Well, I think there is a lot of priests that are confused, um, unfortunately. Um, did your husband come back to the church with you? No, he didn't. He did not. So he is away from the church. You've come back to the church. You're receiving com- you were absolved and you're receiving communion. 
Does your husband come to mass with you? No. No. All right. Only you. Okay. Um, The only way that you can receive the Holy Eucharist rose is if you abstain from marital relations. You're married to an unbeliever. You have not been married in the church. Your marriage is not sacramental, which means you're in an adulterous relationship, and you must not receive communion. Now, what you've done in ignorance, you can confess it to another priest, because this priest, um, there's something wrong with his theology or understanding. But um, you can confess it to another priest and return to the church, be absolved, and receive communion only if you refrain from marital relations. The, the other choice is to continue with your husband in a, a civil marriage, because you have not been married in the church, and you will be living in sin. Um, uh, and then you cannot, uh, either way, you cannot receive the Eucharist. Okay. All, All right. right, so... What you could do, um, possibly, is let your... Has your husband been baptized? Yes. Uh, In a Protestant church? No. We both were raised Catholic. Oh, so, okay. Okay. Well, what might be possible is if your husband would agree, even though he hasn't returned to the church... No, it's still no good. Well, no, it might, it might work. Um, I, I'm not a canon lawyer here. What I'm thinking is if he agrees to have your marriage blessed in the church, even though he has not come back to the church, he is baptized. And if your marriage could be raised to the level of a sacrament in the church with his agreement to raise your children Catholic, that might be okay. Okay. Well, I've run that past my husband. Yeah, I've run that past my husband. He's not interested just yet, so I'll keep trying. He what? what? He's not interested at the moment to get it blessed, but I'll keep working on it. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that you two got married. Well, in that state, because you both were away, but then you came back. So blessed be God. Um... Rose, you need to let your husband know that for you to receive Holy Communion, you can go to Mass, but for you to receive Holy Communion while your marriage is not blessed in the church and you're not living a Catholic life would be a grave, grave sin on your part, a mortal sin. And the least he should do is care for your soul. And so you could say, honey, I, you don't believe it. I can't make you believe it. But we cannot have marital relations in our current state. You could have to be very clear. And, you have to be very clear and strong about that. Will do, Mother. Thank you. That's no easy, no easy feat. But um, the thing is that you need to hold God and the Eucharist, who is God, more dear than your own life and your husband. 
I to commit a sacrilege that, against Thank you. The, Okay, you sound like you do, Rose. Well, I'll ask our listeners to pray that our, whole, our blessed mother would, would get your husband and bring him to her son. Thank you, Mother. You're welcome, sweetheart. We have an email from Moira. Um, Moira says, Mother, I wanted to tell you that I love your face and your voice. Oh, my goodness, my face and my voice. My goodness. Thank you. I don't know. Um, I'm happy for that. After 40 years, she says, of studying mothering, it seems to me that mothers mother the way they were mothered. So I'm intrigued by your mother. She must have been a wonderful mother. Is she still alive? She's not alive. In fact, uh, she died two years. She, she had uh, eventually, after shutting us out of uh, my, my parents' life, shut us out when we became Christians to begin with, both my mother and father received our Lord in a Baptist church. So they became Christians and I was an evangelical, and two years after my mom died, and my dad had died earlier, um, my heart was open to look into the Catholic faith, and I'm figuring because she was Catholic once she was in heaven. No, no denominations in heaven. And so um, uh, I, I, I believe she had a role in my becoming Catholic, and you say, did she find you becoming a Catholic very difficult? Well... Again, I was a Catholic after she died, uh, a few uh, five years after she died, but um, um, but again, uh, she found my becoming an evangelical Protestant first extremely difficult. Um, wouldn't allow myself and my brother into her house. My brother Dave was married with four children. Wouldn't go into their house. Wouldn't let the children. Th- it was devastating for them, uh, feeling that we. Um, had abandoned our Jewish faith and people, but then they gave their lives to Christ. Blessed be God. And Moira says, please keep up your wonderful work. Thank you so much, Moira. Um, We have an anonymous email. Mother, I'm hoping you may be able to speak about children who abandon their parents for no good reason. That is, to completely shut them out simply because they don't agree with their views, etc., Dear Anonymous One, I don't believe it for a minute. I do not believe that children leave their parents for no good reason uh, or abandon their parents for no good reason or they shut them out simply because they don't agree with their views. I don't, that's not true. That may be outward symptoms and may be what the situation has come to, but that's the fruit of of years of being raised in a home and how they were raised and the love in the home and the attitude in the home, uh, all of that. Children do not leave their parents for no good reason. You may not know the reason and they may tell you they're leaving because they don't agree with you. But children who were raised in love to honor and respect their parents uh, would not leave because they disagree with their views. So I will venture to say there's a lot more behind that than the outward current circumstances might reveal. We have an email from Mary who says, I am so distressed with what is going on in the church. How do we defend it to our Protestant brothers and sisters if our leaders are promoting evil? 
How do we defend the truth to lay people in the church who are cheering for changes in the church to promote such evils? Where would we go to find the true church? Love you so much, Mary. Mary, if you're Catholic, you're in the true church. This is it. Um, An apologist of a century ago, Frank Sheed, said that the church, the true church, the people where its members, but Christ is the head. And the church, in essence, is Christ. And he is perfect and without sin and holy. So the church at its core, in its essence, is perfect without sin and holy. But us members need to do a better job of being what we're called to be. And Frank Sheet said that we, the church, is the cause of the holiness of its members, but its holiness is not measured by their response. I'll repeat that. The church is the cause of the holiness of its members. If I'm holy, it's because of the church and the grace of God through the church. But my response does not determine the church's holiness. If I disagree with its teaching or I live in sin, it doesn't reflect on the church. The church is Christ, and that will never change. Um, And so if you're speaking to your Protestant brothers and sisters, I'd pose them with this question. Yes, there is. the the scriptures are being fulfilled that says in the last times, um, men's hearts will grow greedy and cold and bishops will be against bishops and the faith won't be taught. Read Peter, read first and second Peter and others. Yes, uh, that's what's happening because it is the church. Um, and I would say to them, uh, it's pretty awful. And I would tell them what Pope Paul VI said, that the smoke of Satan has entered the church because it's the church. It is the one Satan wants to tear apart. But then I would ask them this. How is it in over 500 years that Protestantism has split over 50,000 times where the Catholic Church, with all its um, sin and debauchery and craziness, has not split in 2,000 years with the likes of us in it. It split uh, with the East-West split, but that's it, the first 1,500 years and 2,000 years, the church has not split into many denominations, as Protestantism has. So those who are claiming to be Catholic but are not, that are against the church, they remain in it, and it's a very uh, looking at the inside from the outside, or even the outside from the inside, it looks pretty terrible. In Protestant churches, the enemies of the faith or those who want to return to purity, they just start their own church, so it looks okay. But there's over 50,000 denominations against one Catholic church that has stood for 2,000 years because it is the church. It is the one Satan wants to defeat. But the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And you can tell her that our Lord's promise that he will lead it into all truth to the end of time is true. Look at all the Protestant denominations that have given in to abortion, to contraception, to divorce and remarried, all of that. Not the Catholic Church ever. People in the Catholic Church because they live in sin, but not the Catholic Church. Jacob says, Hi, Mother. Is there any female order in the church that's sort of female, a sort of female equivalent to the Jesuits? The way there are Benedictine monks and Benedictine nuns, etc., 
Or is that impossible because they specifically, they're a priestly order? No, um, I think there is. I think I met them um, when I was traveling. There are Jesuit sisters. Um, I, I pray that they are Jesuit after Loyola and not after the modern Jesuits who have pretty much abandoned the faith. Um, so I'd have to do a search online, Jacob. So do that yourself. Just look for female order uh, of Jesuits. And um, if you are at a loss, uh, look up the Institute on Religious Life, and they'll probably be able to lead you uh, to the answer. But I have met sisters who were Jesuits. Okay, beloved, there's the music for our final break. Be back and have about 10 minutes still time for your calls, if you wish, um, or your email at mother at the station of the cross.com, and we'll be right back. Can we be happy without God? Atheists say yes, we Christians say yes, but only to a certain extent. What's our reason? There are some natural human desires that can be satisfied without living for God. The desire for sensory pleasure, success, and loving relationships. There are certain desires, however, that can't be satisfied without God. For example, we don't just desire some love, we desire infinite love, love without limit. This is manifest when we get frustrated with imperfect manifestations of it. The same is true for knowledge, justice, and beauty. Since God alone is infinite in these perfections, only He can satisfy our desires for them. Therefore, to borrow from St. Augustine, without God, our hearts would be forever restless. And my friends, a restless heart is an unhappy heart. I'm Carlo Brusard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station, what it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times. It made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And uh, we are live and we have 10 minutes uh, for your calls and your emails, and our lines are open. You uh, are welcome to call in at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Um, okay, we have an email from Marty, and Marty writes: 
it seems that there are lots of examples of saints in the earlier days of the church that entered religious life after a life of marriage and even children, sometimes even before their spouse had died. I've read at least a couple of different stories where king and queen gave up their thrones when they were older and entered separate monasteries. How common has that been throughout history? Is it something that could still happen nowadays? Marty, I'd have to look that up myself. I've, I've heard of it. Uh, I don't think it's very common, but it's not isolated. Um, and I suppose that could still happen today. Um, I don't know how. If a couple is married um, and they want to enter separate monasteries, I wish I could think of an example that I did read about. Um, they'd, of course, have to go to the bishop. And um, I don't know what steps would need to be taken because if they're married to each other, they couldn't then be married to God. Something, there'd have to be a process. So I don't know that. Um, I don't, I'd have to look it up. Could it happen nowadays? I, I suppose it could. I just don't know the canonical situation for it. We have an email from Melissa who says, Hi, Mother, congratulations on your final vows. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much for all you do to guide us. Quick question, what are your thoughts on praise and worship music during adoration? Many of our local parishes have added contemporary praise and worship music during adoration as a way to promote the Eucharistic revival. Well, I don't think it's promoting Eucharistic revival. I think it's promoting self emotion and revival. Uh, I think it takes us from the worship of God. Um, I'm not for it whatsoever. I do not believe praise and worship music belongs during adoration whatsoever. Um, Melissa says, it makes me uncomfortable to have non-sacred music in a sacred space. I I agree. And praise and worship is non-sacred music. Many people don't understand that. Part it comes from the charismatic music um, uh, movement, Protestant mu- music. It is not sacred music. She says, but I can understand how it may be a relief to those who struggle with the silence before God. Uh, though I believe silence before the Lord is such a gift these days. It is a gift, and if you struggle with silence before God, there are ways you can be helped to be with God. And be silent instead of um, bringing in noise, even though it's so-called praise and worship music. She says, it feels irreverent to have music, but I cannot find a reason why it may be technically wrong. And I'm sure that the bishops encourage it. Well, I don't know what bishops encourage it, but they don't stop it, which grieves me. And, and Melissa says, am I way off in taking issue with this? Thank you again, Melissa. No. I, I personally agree with you. And um, there are, uh, I would have to take the time to look it up, but if you Google or do a, an internet search on music for exposition of the Holy Eucharist and all of that, um, uh, I'm looking at one of the liturgy office, it says there's this, a distinct role for music in each of the four parts of the rite. Um and, and what is music during exposition. And it, it requires, the church liturgy requires 
liturgical music. Praise and worship is not liturgical music. Is some music allowed? Yes, but it needs to be liturgical music, not praise and worship. Uh, Not a way to fill silence. Okay. Uh, We have an email from Marie, and Marie says, Hello, Mother Miriam. Congratulations to you on your reception of your final vows. Thanks, Marie. It goes to show you're never told you're never too old to fulfill your dreams. Absolutely not. And it's, it's God who has fulfilled them beyond all I could ask or think. She says, My question concerns taking communion to the sick and homebound of our parish, specifically as it pertains to the reception of the Eucharist in the hand. First, a little history. During COVID, I was deprived of the Eucharist, like so many others. That, that was demonic. No one was to be deprived of the Eucharist, and no priest or bishop had the power to close churches. But it happened. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's straight from Cardinal Burke, highest canon lawyer of the church. Um, and she says, um, I was deprived of the Eucharist during COVID, like so many others, though I watched Mass on EWTN every day, participated in the prayer of spiritual communion. As the months wore on, however, I came to feel that the spiritual communion prayer was leaving me unsatisfied, of course, because you're not receiving our Lord. Like it wasn't enough. It's not enough. She said, I realized that I truly needed our Lord in the Eucharist. As the feeling grew, I vowed to myself that when I got out of this situation, I would take communion to the sick and homebound because they must feel as starved as I did. A few years prior to all this, I began to receive the Eucharist on the tongue. I believe that God calls me to do that. He calls all of us to do that, uh, Marie, and that is the norm in the church. Um, communion on the hand is allowed, but the norm is on the tongue. Um, so now I'm not sure that I should bring the Eucharist to the sick and homebound because I would have to handle the host. Please guide me on this. Thank you, Marie. Marie, no one but the consecrated hands of a priest should handle the host. No one. Not even a deacon, because his hands are not consecrated um, to sacrifice our Lord. Only the consecrated hands of a priest should touch the host. So you're very right. You have to handle the host, and it's a sacrilege. Now, there might be um, certain times in history or coming up where it's a dire circumstances that might be allowed, but then there would be particular instructions given for how that is allowed. And so um, um, the, the early church, uh, people that received communion in the hand in the early church, um, uh, received different ways. They put a, a, a pure napkin on their hand, and the priest would put the host on the napkin, and the person would take it with their tongue. Um, and and make sure there's no crumbs. But to put a host and have someone pick it up like fast food, it's tremendously, it's a desecration of the host. And your heart for people who are not able to receive the Eucharist, um, uh, as, as you experienced, um, is wonderful. But we must always put God and his reverence and the worship of the Holy Eucharist before any 
individuals before any circumstance, before any so-called convenience. Um, so that's, that's my thought on this, beloved. Um, okay, we have an email from someone who writes it anonymously. It looks like a short one. What can you tell me about hysterectomy? Can a Catholic have the procedure done, or does it depend on the circumstances? Thank you. Well, canonically, I have to look that up, but in my mind, it depends on the circumstance, because if you have a hysterectomy as uh, a method of birth control, that would be grave, grave sin. So I would say it would have to be for grave health reasons. Uh, I don't know any other reason to have a hysterectomy except uh, for a grave situation of your health where you must. Um, There's the music for the end of our program, beloved. We'll be back tomorrow, God willing, and um, uh, live for God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and especially your spouse as yourself. God bless you.